I think we'll need it. Man, let's pray together. Uh, gracious God in heaven, thank you for the call in uh, Jalan's life. Thank you for her obedience uh, to that call and to go into a place, uh, Lord, that needs to hear about your love and your grace and needs to have lives changed. Uh, Lord, thank you for the story so far of change and transformation. Thank you for the new work that has been started. God, we, we continue to pray um, for courage and for wisdom uh, for Jalan to, to be able to follow you and even more than that, to, to point others on the journey as well. In your name we pray, amen. All right, thank you. Um, we'll uh, roll into, uh, into the, the message now, and uh, switching gears a bit from that, um, I have to tell you that uh, one of the maybe perks of having small children uh, in the house is that well, to be honest, I get to play with blocks every now and again. <laughs> the trade-off is not sleeping at night, so it's up to you to figure out whether it's worth it or not. Um, but uh, is, it, I've noticed that the playing with the blocks uh, tends to, to follow the same arc trajectory every single time, and it's usually a, a three-step process. Um, step number one is uh, we, we get like two or maybe three blocks stacked on top of each other, and the kids run, and they love to knock it over, right? Scatter the blocks. But then, step number two, an interesting thing happens. They realize that as much fun as it is to knock like two or three blocks over, it's even more fun to knock over like a two or three foot tall tower of blocks to to get them all stacked up and to run in there Godzilla style and to like flail and kick their arms and (laughs) scatter everything in in every direction for dead to pick up. Uh, And part of that step two process sometimes is is because the patience isn't always there to wait for the tower to get that high. I've got to like, like hold them back, you know, like box them out in order for me to, to get the tower that big and then set them loose for them to, to scatter the blocks. Uh, that's step two. Step three is the kids completely losing interest in me just playing with blocks by myself for a little while. <laughs> uh, something about the block building process, though, in this step three is that um, I, I'm never content just to, to leave it with like two or three foot tall tower. I have to make it uh, bigger. It has to be taller. It has to be stronger than the previous tower. It, it's always, it has to be more, right? Uh, more blocks, more inches or feet, uh, a more steady base to make it stronger. Uh, and so uh, playing blocks by myself now, I, I try to like lay a good foundation and make it tie, higher and higher until finally you know, it's on carpet, right? So it falls over and I think, okay, like this is the new goal and I've got to, I've got to like reach higher than that. I think, like, imagining a grown man sitting in his living room playing with these foam blocks, most of which my son bit off from the corner, so it adds an element of difficulty, um, is a bit ridiculous, I know. But, and I don't mind if you laugh at me picturing that, because I know you're not any different. <laughs> Whether it's blocks, or it's candy crush, or it's Whatever you set your mind to do, there's this like innate human quality that says, I need to do it and it needs to be more, bigger, taller, stronger, faster, whatever it is, it has to just be more. It's this like innate human quality that's just like wired within us to say, I'm not content with just being me. It has to be more than myself. It has to be better than myself. You know, animals don't really have this. You don't see like um, uh, chipmunks or squirrels like trying to better themselves, but humans do. We go explore the countryside to find excitement. We see uh, people shopping the world for pleasure. We see people searching uh, their souls for meaning, 
We see try, people trying to do more, bigger, better, stronger, faster. This has a downside, though. And that's where we come in this morning. The, the downside of bigger, stronger, faster is that more is never enough. You know this to be true. But if we run with it in its logical conclusion, the thing is, is, is as the author and pastor Eugene Peterson writes about this phenomenon, it's like there's this diminishing return where the excitement or the euphoria or the pleasure that we get with something goes down with how much more work, how much more effort we put into it. You know this with the blocks. that It's fun to build a three-foot tower and crash into it Godzilla-style. But we can't just keep doing that over and over. It has to be four feet the next time. It has to be five feet the time after that, six feet, and we have to eventually reach the ceiling. And then we go out to the back deck and it gets really fun. <laughs> no, uh, it always has to be more. And if you are in sales or something like that, you, you know that that, that that first sale, there's no other kind of rush or euphoric sensation that, that comes with that first hint of success. But, but then by the time the 50th or 60th time rolls around, it, it's like, now we've got to up it. Now we've got to reach higher. Now we have to do more, bigger, higher. A movie, I think, put it so well in just one word. There's an Oliver Stone movie in 2011 called Wall Street 2. Super cheesy movie. But there's one line in it that, that just captures it just so right on. There's a young, impressionable stockbroker is sitting in the office, kind of as a, as a makeshift job interview with a more ex, uh, experienced broker, and at the end of this makeshift interview, he looks at the, the older, uh, wiser, uh, more experienced broker, and he says, everybody has a number. Everybody has like this goal in their mind of what they hope to achieve. What's your number? And he sums this up so well, and he turns and he responds, more. Just more. Might be bigger, might be stronger, might be faster, but whatever it is, it has to just be more. And Peterson concludes the thought and he says, and he says, some people they never learn. Some people go through life just flailing from this to that, throwing themselves in. And, and for whatever success they have, the return goes down and down and down. So they pour themselves more and more into it. And bit by bit, they lose out on what it means to be human. Year by year, they lose their humanity until at the end of the line, in their twilight years, they're looking back and there's almost no humanity left to make even a corpse. It has a downside. So what do we do? <laughs> especially because we only get maybe two or three tries at something to be successful. In the off chance that we are successful in whatever it is that we set our hearts out to accomplish, it could take 15, 20, 30 years. Who knows? How many different tries do we get in life? It's here that I want to say, listen, I think that we need another perspective. I think we need another uh, like person to break into our lives to say, I've been there. I know exactly what you long for. I have not only have longed for that thing, I've saw this through to its end. I've been to where you hope someday to go. And I have some words for you. 
If you've been following along in this series here at Encounter, it's called The Big Picture, where we take a look at, at what this big picture of the Bible is all about by dropping in on certain uh, books of the Bible to hear how each book of the Bible, and this is kind of like the catchphrase to the series, how each book of the Bible tells the Jesus story in its own unique way to its own unique people in its own unique time, even if it's long before Jesus was ever born and lived. This morning, we take a look at this big picture stuff about the meaning of life and where we find it. And honestly, this morning, where not to find it. And we drop into somebody who's been there, who's done that, who saw this through to completion and now has words from us. And he writes them down in the biblical book of uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes is kind of in the, what's called the wisdom part of the Bible, wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, uh, Ecclesiastes. We heard about Solomon last time, you know, with the scooter, this question like, hey, listen, you may not be falling, just uh, free fall away from God, but, but where are you scooting? Ecclesiastes come with King Solomon, who's been there, who's done that, who's a, a leader, who's a king, who's a poet, who's a songwriter, who's an author, who's an architect, who's a philosopher, who's worldwide, globally known as being somebody who knows about finance, knows about wealth, who knows about influence and power, is somebody who knows what it means to have, let's say, uh, romantic entanglements. He knows all of this. And now in his twilight years, he writes to us with a bit of perspective on it all. Uh, on the front of the flow sheets, we have a few of these key Bible passages from Ecclesiastes. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. And starting off, and this is just a great summary of the entire 12 chapters of the book, uh, Solomon writes, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. <laughs> Listen, this is a guy who's, who's done it all. I just imagine him writing these words in his twilight years in a huge palace, empty, of course. And he's, and he's gray hair, what's left at least, and he's hunched over a desk, or maybe there's someone there writing down the words that he, he dictates because he's too frail and too weak to write. And looking back over a thousand lifetimes worth of experience gathering, and he says, everything, everything under the sun, meaningless, in fact, that phrase, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He, he uses meaningless as something like 30 times in 12 chapters of the, of the book, Ecclesiastes. He's just like, listen, I don't know a lot about life, but I know what not to do. And if you're looking for a perspective other than your own, if you're looking for, hey, I wonder if this is where I can find me, or this is the answer to life, or this, he's been there and he wants to tell you everything under the sun, meaningless. Now, the layers of complexity here is what I love about his writing. Because right here, chapter 1, verse 12, he starts out and it says, I, the teacher. And you kind of notice, like, the, the word teacher is capitalized. So it's not just, like, any teacher. It's a specific kind of teacher that he's referring to himself. 
The book name uh, Ecclesiastes is a Greek word that's kind of a, uh, built from the Hebrew word which for teacher. Koaleth is the, is the Hebrew word for teacher. And then Ecclesiastes is like teacher, but it's also like ecclesia, which is where we get our word from church from. And the Hebrew koaleth that he's talking about, I, the, the koaleth, the teacher, the specific, more nuanced kind of teacher that it is is somebody who calls the assembly together, who brings people in. The assembly being like a religious or worship uh, celebration or festival. I, I, just, I just think that it's important for us to realize that when he says the teacher, the maybe more nuanced reading of this would be something like preacher. You know, the, the guy who's supposed to gather us together here before the Lord and to, to lead this worship of God has some words. <laughs> Some words that boil down to everything done under the sun. Meaningless. Meaningless. Listen, it's all meaningless. The layers of complexity within Ecclesiastes begin right here in chapter 1 to say, listen, this isn't just somebody reflecting over a life of a lot of experience. This is like a preacher who's lost his faith. Or Maybe if he hasn't like lost his faith, maybe he's in the deep throes of skepticism, of doubt, of just, just struggle with God over where he stands before him, but, but not squarely in God's camp. If you come, like wherever, maybe you just needed to hear, maybe you just needed to hear about somebody who, who's just in your same boat. You know, I just, I just wonder if there's a few people out who just say, you know what, I personally just needed to know that my doubts and my skepticism are not necessarily the end. That God holds me like he held Solomon, even through it all. And that, and that this, somebody who's caught in the throes of skepticism and doubt, his words are even included in the Bible. How is that? How is it possible that somebody's like this, his words are in the Bible? Let alone an entire book devoted towards this thing. I would say, friends, it's not just possible that it's in the Bible. It, it is. It's critical that it's in the Bible. Not just because you needed to hear that there's somebody else who struggles through the, the, the throes of skepticism and doubt, but but that so much of the Bible is, is like nourishment for the soul. So much of the Bible tells us who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will be doing. Ecclesiastes stands apart, I think, from almost the rest of the Bible altogether and says, there's 65 other books of the Bible that tell you who God is and what he's doing. This book of the Bible tells us who we are. This book of the Bible, this book tells us what the passions and the desires of our life, where they will ultimately lead. Again, picking up Eugene Peterson, the pastor and author I, I told you about, writing about Ecclesiastes. He says, Ecclesiastes is not nourishment, it is not a meal. Ecclesiastes is a bath that washes away the filth from our life. 
all of the, and he says, lifestyle spiritualities, which I think of like, you know, the daytime TV, like Oprah, Dr. Phil kind of stuff. They just like wash all of whatever we might hope to amount to, which is clear it all away. And when all of the garbage about what we hope to make our lives about, whether it's about gathering wisdom or knowledge or influence or romantic entanglements or whatever it is, when all of that is finally exposed for what it is, meaningless, meaningless, listen, it's all meaningless, the air is clear enough to see what's true, what's still there. And he picks that up in the, just the last few lines of the entire book in chapter 12, verse 13. Reflecting on it all, he says, now, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. I don't know about you, but I get the impression as he's writing, he, he's looking at a life poorly spent. I mean, from, from every angle you could look at his life from an from a earthly perspective, from a worldly perspective, it, it's like, listen, you had it all, man. <laughs> you did it all. And now he's looking back at it and going, so the one thing that really mattered, the one thing I didn't get. And so if I could tell you, pursue the one thing that matters that I didn't. I think the key to, maybe if you could say, like unlocking this book of Ecclesiastes and the bizarre, nihilist, just uh, uh, depressing outlook on this entire book, if there's like one key, it's this phrase um, that's often repeated again 39 times or 30 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Not meaningless, meaningless, but one other one that's coupled with it. He says, everything under the sun, it's right here in, in chapter one. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them meaningless, they're chasing after the wind. Under the sun. It's almost like he's looking around and saying, hey, horizontally, I've seen everything that this world has to offer, and it's all meaningless. Maybe it's time to pursue something that's not under the sun. Maybe, maybe it's time to pursue Something or someone behind the sun, above the sun. When all of the garbage of life, the the lifestyle spiritualities are, are cleared away and exposed for what they are, meaningless, what remains is God, the creator, the giver of life. In a way, it like starts to make sense, right? That, that, that maybe it could possibly be true, that, that meaning in life could be somehow derived from well, the giver of life, the, the creator of life, to connect back with him. The paradox of the gospel, if you haven't heard it before, is that, is that somehow through this pursuit of God and living like him and following after him is that the more we try to build ourselves up, the more that we try to make the most of ourselves, it's like the, 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 the less and less meaning and depth that we have. But, but as we deny ourselves, as we uh, die to ourselves and live for God it is somehow it's like we move from the stagnant shallow end of the pool into like this deep cool refreshing part of the pool and of course since we're talking about this series as being how do you tell the Jesus story in your own kind of way to your own people this author is looking across the landscape and going listen horizontally it's not about that it's about find someone 
Jesus Christ, live like him. If there's anybody who can tell us what it's like to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, it's Jesus to live for God. Live like him. Listen, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. I think it's true. Chances are more than a a few of you think it's true too. You're here, you're at church this weekend. Even if you're like a little unsure about it, chances are that you're at least open to the possibility that there has to be something more than the horizontal, that there has to be a vertical, and you're willing to explore what that is. Problem is, what happens when you know that's true? What happens when you know that there's deep meaning in life connected to Jesus, following after God? On some level, that, that rings true, but, but yet the words, the words don't always resonate like they used to. What happens when you know that the right answer is in fact Jesus, just like they said that it was? And someone comes to you and, and is looking for some godly advice or some wisdom, and you kind of go through like the, the flow, sheet, flow chart of, uh, of, of like questions and responses. And so it's like, hey, uh, have you tried reading your Bible? You know, have, have you uh, prayed about it? Have you consulted godly counsel other people? And even as you're asking the questions, it's like, you know, I am asking, but it hasn't worked for me because I'm, I'm not in the deep, refreshing part of the pool. I'm in the shallow, stagnant side of the pool wanting to go over there but not being able to make it. Maybe you've never had that experience before. Maybe you're like, no, this is like whole. Give it time. (laughs) You'll get there at some point if you're not right now. Even if you've been and back, you're probably going to come back at some point. So what comes next for Ecclesiastes? I think if it isn't going to be helpful right now, it could be helpful in the future or to share with somebody else. What do you do when the words don't resonate? What do you do when you know what to do, but it isn't working like it used to? Author of Ecclesiastes has, kind of midway through the book, it's uh, chapter five, and he has these real like, interesting bits of advice that I think would be worth exploring. He says at chapter 5, and we're just going to read verse 1, because I think that there's enough there to at least get us started this week. At chapter 5, he said, hey, what do, what do you do when, uh, what do you do when you don't know what to do? It's just not resonating anymore. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. That's number one. And the other one is, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. First of all, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. There's two like components of that. The first one is going to the house of God. I kind of have an idea about what that's all about. I mean, in the context there, it's like, hey, when you go to worship, when you go to temple, I understand that when you approach God, I, I get that part. Solomon, of course, he knew something, right? He's a credible uh, witness to this because he knew something about what it was to approach God. Remember, he, he built this massive temple we heard about last week. Seven years, 153,000 people were, were involved in the making of this temple. He knows what it means to approach God. But the phrase that I don't get is the first part, guard your steps. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? 
This is what we call like here as like churchy words that I don't always get. But you just kind of like gloss over. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a cool phrase. Guard your steps, man. In the original Hebrew, the phrase guard your steps was uh, more literally or woodenly translated as something like, hey, hey, pay attention or, or watch the direction of your feet as you approach the temple, as you go to the house of God. The, 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 the woodenness of it or the literalness, it starts to make a bit more sense for me. Pay attention to the direction of your feet. Because I'll tell you something that's entirely possible, something that happens uh, to me in these dry places when I'm in the, the shallow end of a not very refreshing kind of stagnant pool of spirituality, of, of connection with God. What happens to me is that I get bitter. I, I get like angry at God. I get kind of like chippy or passive aggressive. Or I think, you know what, God, it's your job to reach me. It's your job to like pull me along. I'm willing, I want to go into the deep, refreshing part of the pool, but, but I need you to, like, carry me there. And Solomon, who's with everything, right, he says, I've been there, I know. He says, hey, pay attention to the direction of your feet. Because what I find, for me personally, and maybe you can resonate with this, I, I want to go there to the house of God to, to be with him, but it's like, God, like, what's your deal? You know, why are you, why are you not pulling me in? I mean, why don't you do, show me that you're really out there and that you really care about me, even like as I'm walking away, as I'm like closing myself off? Why pay attention to the direction of your feet? Like, hey, you're saying one thing. Are you, and this is it, are you acting that same way? I mean, it's, it sounds so simple, but there's like, there's depth there and there's richness, I think, to simply call it what it is, to say, hey, sometimes it's possible that even though we want this deep connection with God, we're actively walking away. And the methodology of which God is going to reach us and turn us around is by, is by walking towards him instead of away from him. So if, if you're in this like, shallow end of the pool and you're wondering where God is, try walking towards him. Try actually doing those things, not talking about them. Try praying, try reading the Bible, try finding God, godly wisdom. I- immersing yourself in the things that, that lead you closer into a relationship with him. Cut off all of the distractions, even if that's a Netflix membership for a year. <laughs> Just try walking, down. pay attention to the direction of your steps. The second one is, is go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. I don't know what the sacrifice of fools would be. It's not a phrase that's too, used too often in the Bible. But, but based on other passages, like I can kind of piece this one together uh, enough to say, just as much as it's possible to, to walk or want God, but, but walk away from him, it, it's possible to walk towards him, but have your heart going the other direction. You know, it's possible for somebody in, in Solomon's time to go to the temple with the lamb or the doves or with whatever to offer this sacrifice and to say, listen, I'm just doing this for like, something to check off the list and then I'm out of here. And it's a phrase that Solomon uses to say, hey, sacrifice of fools. Isaiah says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me yet. I... 
When he says, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong, there's a key component in here which is about being honest, which I think is one of the most difficult aspects of this walk with God. I'm going to share a quick story that yeah, it might get me into trouble here, but uh, now I got your attention. Um, so when I was in seminary, I would go on these like preaching tours, right? Because I was broke and I kind of needed some cash and I had a feeling like I could probably be better at this thing. So I, uh, I, I took these engagements, kind of like pulpit supply, they call them, where you just like go somewhere and preach that morning or night or a couple services, whatever. And they'd pay almost nothing, which is why they'd also pay mileage. It was like 50 something cents a mile to get there and back. And I had this like early 90s Plymouth Neon with a five-speed, and you get like a million miles to the gallon, and I would just get the farthest one away that I could because I'd make way more money on mileage. But uh, So I'd go to these places. That's just, it wasn't a place around here. Um, so I walk into this, and it was a morning, you know, and I walk into this like big old council room with uh, like the elders, you know, these old dudes in the church, of course, all dudes, and, uh, and they're, they're kind of there, and they're talking back and forth. They're like fishing stories, hunting stories, stuff that I know next to nothing about. And uh, and then, like, one guy comes in, looks at his watch, and he goes, it's time. Time to pray. And, like, everybody immediately quiets. And these, like, big, gruff kind of dudes, like, go into their falsetto. And they're like, blessed art now, Jesus, master, ye, we, hath made us. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, he just turned in an instant. Now, I think it's probably a part of the culture of that place. And there's, you know, you might be really offended at me saying that now, and I, I understand that, but you, you just got to hear, it, like, it wasn't a part of my culture and who I was, so I'm, like, listening to this going, I, this is, like, so far beyond me, and passages like this start, like, firing in my mind to say, is, is that seriously what's in this guy's heart right now? Like, is his heart, this falsetto kind of a, like, old English language trapped inside this, like, bigger dude, kind of gruff-looking guy's body? I don't know, but it just, it seemed to me like there was this value of eloquence over honesty. Like it may have been a sacrifice of fools where God says, I don't care, I don't care how you do it. I, here's the hard thing, I don't even care if it's true or not. I care if that's what's inside of you. If you're part of this Psalms project, I know I keep talking about it because I think it's awesome, but we, we read these Psalms, like Psalm 13 of David. It says, how long, Lord? Will you, will you forget me forever? And it's like, David, that's just not true. You know, you're the chosen king. There's somebody from your line who's going to sit on the throne forever and ever. This is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not true. It's certainly not eloquent. But it is honest. It is what's inside of him. And so if you're in the shallow end of the pool, I'd say, first of all, listen, are you walking towards God? Are the, are the direction of your feet towards him? And the other one is, are you being honest with yourself before him? Because could it be that you're in the shallow end of the pool because there's some area of your life that you're guarding from him, you're trying to hide over with just your eloquent words because you're afraid of what honesty before God might possibly look like or what he might call you out on. Namely, you're keeping yourself in the shallow end of the pool because you're afraid of what's going on in the deep side or what that might require. And the last one, just honestly, is that it's possible that God put you there. Is that God put you in the shallow end for a reason. 
In Bible language, sometimes we call this being in the desert, being in the wilderness. And I can't always explain it, but I see it now and I definitely see it in the Bible that sometimes God calls his people just to spend time in the desert to learn something about him, to grow a dependence on him. A thousand different reasons, but sometimes he just keeps people there. Maybe he's doing that with you. Maybe you're in the shallow end of the pool because he wants you there to learn something or to do something, and I don't know what that is. But this week, watch the direction of your feet. Watch the direction of your heart. You can stay seated. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate communion together, and there's going to be some instructions along with that. Gracious uh, Heavenly God, uh, Lord, um, by your Holy Spirit, give us this courage uh, to, to point our feet towards you. God, to point our feet towards the, the deep, cool, refreshing part of the pool. It keep our hearts close to you. God, we need your help so much. If we're in this shallow end of the pool, this stagnant place, and we don't know why, reveal it to us. Take off whatever blinders, Lord, we might put on. Take off whatever blinders the world might put on. But, but God, we, we need to see you. We need to follow after you because you, Lord, are the only one who has meaning for our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, this time we're going to celebrate communion together while uh, the worship team uh, leads us in our final song in Christ alone. Uh, if this is your first time at encounter, if this is your first time to church in general, we hope that this isn't a time that's, that's uh, peculiar or odd for you, even though it, it is a peculiar and odd act that stretches back 2,000, uh, 2000 years. So, uh, uh, you know, we say, hey, uh, if you're on the journey of Christ, if you're trying to pursue him, uh, though not perfectly, uh, whatever your church background or even lack thereof. We invite you to, to come forward and celebrate communion with us. If, uh, if you're new to Encounter, if you've been around here for a long time, whatever the case, and you're just not totally comfortable with it, and you just want to stand and, and, uh, and sing along, participate along with the worship and singing, uh, we would love for you to participate that way as well. Uh, how this works at Encounter is that uh, um, uh, as during the song, as you feel led, it doesn't have to be all at once. In fact, it's probably easier if it's not, but um, Use the outside aisles to come on forward to, to take communion and then kind of make your way back and use the inside aisles to go back to your seat. Um, as, as you approach, you'll hear the, these words, uh, the body of Christ given for you and a loaf of bread or a piece of bread will be ripped out from the loaf and handed to you and then you can dip that in the juice and the words will be the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, if, uh, if you have a gluten allergy or wheat, there's a gluten-free option with the plastic around it if that's a, a concern for you. But feel free to use uh, whichever. It doesn't make any difference uh, on our end. Uh, the words that have been going on since uh, when Christ instituted this. At the Last Supper, he, uh, he took bread and breaking it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this cup is the blood of my new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim the death of Christ until he comes again. Dear friends, the gifts of God for the people of God. 
invite you to stand up, join along with singing, and come forward whenever you're ready.